Hello and welcome to Don't Do Things The Way I Do, the podcast about mistakes. This episode's guest is Mr. Dave Hill, who is a very big noise across the Atlantic in the United States and also gigs over here too. As usual with my guests, I'm going to let Dave introduce himself rather than me put him into a, a little box. So, hi Dave, thanks for doing this and what do you do? Hello, I'm Dave Hill. I'm a comedian, musician, writer, guy living in, in New York City. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and um, just trying to get through the day every day. <laughs> Hi, Dave. So in all of these things that you've done, thank you, by the way, for agreeing to do this. Um, Thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. Um, very probably confusing podcast um about mistakes and the nature of them um you've obviously never made a single mistake in your life i'm right there aren't i yes well i i make mistakes minute uh every every how many have i made today i mean it's only it's a quarter to 11 over here right um how many how many do you think well i would say backing it up last night I see I've gotten in this bad habit where I started drinking wine instead of beer. Mm. I drink less beer because <clears throat> I'm trying to uh, stay not as fat. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it, right. But the problem with it is then you buy w- wine and you br- and it you know if you don't drink it quickly it goes bad so then you have to you're like, well, I, have, I better finish this wine or it's going to go, we'll have wasted it. Yeah. And uh, as a result, I end up uh, drinking too much wine. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting more into mistakes, at least on a, a creative level, uh, not on a personal level. I think I'm getting better at not making as many mistakes on a personal level, like in my interpersonal, um, hmm. I guess my relationships, you know, w- whatever, you know, whether the friendships or whatever I'm getting, but I think it, a lot, a lot of that is owed to, um, interacting with less people. So <laughs> I'm making less mistakes cause I'm just dealing with less people on yeah. the, regularly kind of pared down my life a little bit to where uh i'm seeing i'm involved i'm spending less time with fewer people um but but even you know i'm I'm doing better with that but then on a creative level i think it's good i learned like um uh, like about three years ago i met my friend chris reifert who's a he's a drummer he he plays um, well, we now have a band together called Painted Doll, but he's a death metal guy in a band called Autopsy, or, you know, and he was the original drummer in Death, which is sort of like the quintessential American death metal band. But um, I became friends with Chris, and and um, we started a band, and he was just really like egging me on to 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 jam and stuff, and. And I was always like, "Oh, it's got to be perfect. We got to have, 
you know, I have to have time in my schedule and I have to, you know, I have to car- I have to finish all these other things before I can make time for this thing. And, but, you know, he would, um, he lives in the Oakland area, which is Northern California. Hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I live in New York, so I'd be coming out to LA to do some showbiz TV stuff or whatever. And he'd be like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll come down and we'll jam. So I'd be like, uh, okay. You know, so he would drive six hours for us. So we would get in a room together for three hours, you know? Right. And, uh, or even two hours. I forget what we would do. And, uh, and you know, and, and I, I'd always want to see him, you know? So I'd be like, yeah, sure, come, you know, come on down. But I was just like, if it were up to me, I would have been like, no, no, let's figure out a time when our schedules are clear to do this. But he would just be like, oh, you're coming to L.A.? Like, I'm on my way. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and we, and then in the meantime, same thing with, you know, even making demos. You know, up to, to that point, I would always, like, make demos and, you know, with a drum machine and every track I'm imagined out. And, and then he started just, like, turning on his iPhone and playing his guitar and mumbling into the phone. And so then I would start doing it back and... Just these horrible. His his demos weren't horrible, but you know, it's just I would just be like, that, literally that, <laughs> you know, and, and I'd be like, what do you think? That's the song, and uh, he was just kind of like, yeah, let's go. So then, kind of opened me up to this idea, like, oh, we're just friends and we're having fun. We're gonna do this thing, and it was the first time I really started. You may arguably everything I do is for fun but it it made me forget like the perfectionist element of it of of uh of of being like oh we gotta write these songs the best we can and play the best we can and blah 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 and then so we ended up practicing four times he came down to la and then he's like all right let's make a record let's record a record after four practices which is you know, I'd never done in my life. So hold on. You, so then, it's like you're Emerson, Lake and Palmer and, and Chris is the Ramones. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. so he, he was just like, what, what's your schedule? And I'm like, you know, cause I'm always traveling, touring this and that. And, and I was like, well, I don't have time. He's like, well, you have the, sounds like this week is open. And I'm like, we, okay. So we, I'm like, fuck it. Let's book the studio. But we don't have money to you know because i'm already paying for this other record and blah blah blah. so it's like all right we'll just do as many days as we can afford you know and then we'll have to get the record done in that time so we made this record very you know it's not we recorded all the music in three days i took a couple more days to sing on it and then we uh mixed it in a couple days and you know and and um and then in the meantime, I'm making this other record, my other band, Valley Lodge, which is like way more meticulous mm. and seven million tracks. It's way more like uh, just um, a million things going on. And mm. and then I can, now they're both done and I can't say which is better, really, you know, the uh, and, you know, Rolling Stone gave the painted doll the record we recorded in a few days and practiced four times. Wow. You know, they gave it a great review and not, you know, all these people, all these other 
writers are saying album of the year. I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying people have said it. But then, and then even with the cover, you know, it's like, oh, we got to get like a great album cover artist, uh, artist friend to do the cover. But, you know, I've always drawn and that was sort of my first thing that I was into in life in, in terms of art or mm. creative stuff. And so I did like a rough idea and then we were like, now let's get someone else to do it. And Chris is like, no, no, you do it. Just you do it. Well, let's have you do it. And like, you know, because we're naming like all these like kind of big artists who are like, you know, well known. And he's like, no, fuck it, you do it. So I was like, all right. And then I decided I would take the same approach. And I'd be like, I have Saturday afternoon. I'm going to draw this entire album cover. I'm not going to leave any till tomorrow or next Saturday and finishing it now. And uh, so I did that, you know, and I had to go back and make some changes and stuff, you know, because Chris would have suggestions and then the label had suggestions and, and, you know, but I, I tried to do it in sort of like thinking like, Oh, what would I have done? You know, what's my inner 15 year old going to draw rather than be like, I need to try to draw this perfectly and have it look great. And and if you look at it, you know, it's it, it, it's pretty. I think it turned out pretty cool. And um, and then it's kind of got me more into drawing because I'm like, oh, it's just about drawing. And who gives a fuck if it's perfect? And and uh, yeah, mis- mis- and mis- mistakes being part of the uh, uh, disrupting perfectionism is is something I hold very very dear. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's but. You know, it's funny you mention that because now I've decided to, I've been writing this new book for like the last year or more and I'm taking the same approach because I'm just like, because you know, with the Painted Doll record, we went into it like, I was just like, fuck it, like, let's try to, let's do something that might be horrible. Maybe this song is horrible and like, and maybe that it'd be horrible in a fun way, in in a way that you know, sometimes, like, you put, like, you know, if I'm going down these wormholes with music and you find some old psych record or prog record and yeah. you're like, wow, that is horrible <laughs> in a really awesome way. Like, you're kind of, it gives you a, a window into, like, what these, you know, four Dutch guys who were high out of their minds and, you know, what what do they do with this, you know, uh studio time they booked or whatever and i was i got kind of excited about like having a horrible horrible songs on the record as much as i wanted the record to be good so for you you, were you a perfectionist or were you just somebody who couldn't let go like there's a part in tom wolf's painted word i think it is about um it might be rauschenberg or it might be de kooning or something like somebody had to employ a, a burglar to come to his house to take his paintings away because he'd never finished them otherwise yeah, I mean, I think there is, is, I mean, to along those lines, you know, this book I'm writing, which I, I've been trying to employ the same, just sort of, I'm just going to fucking write it and send it in. I'm not going to have three friends read it and tell me what they think before I send it in. Like, literally, no one has read a word of this book, aside from the editor and some other people, whoever... I understand that other people have read it at the publisher, but like it's the first, you know, thing that I've written that I've just been like, fuck it. I'm not, 
I'm not going to agonize over it. I'm going to, I'm going to make it the best I can, but I'm just going to fucking get it done. How'd that feel when you sent it into the world? Well, I was just like, I always assume like, Oh, they're going to come back and you know, they're going to ask for the advance back and you know, they're going to like, you know, still like I've had things, you know, where the, someone at the publisher will email and say, Hey, can you jump on the phone real quick? And, I always think it's going to be like, oh, this is it. I got to give the advance money back. You know, they're just like, this is horrible. And that's never happened. The only, the only I did hand in one chapter where I thought it was like too negative and condescending uh, to. So I'm writing this book about Canada. I'm traveling through Canada. And it, I went to, I don't want to say which, where I visited, but I, I didn't really like it too much and I I feel like I had a hard time uh, disguising that really and and I I kind of knew it when I sent it and they wrote back they said yeah you're a li- this is a little darker than the other things you've sent in and I knew it when it so I did I did take another pass at that but but uh, so anyway this book all of a sudden somehow there was some confusion with when it was due and they want it like uh, sooner than later, and now I'm like, oh my god, you know, I'm freaking out, and I just have to get it done, and I can't. Now I have even less time to think about to think about it, you know. So uh, it's stressful, but it's also, in a way, I'm sort of like, good, just get it, get it out of here, right? <laughs> and, and um, right. And then, uh, you know, but, which is not, you know, I'm still sitting trying to make it good, but, um, you know, at the same time, you know, the, the first two books, which, which I think turned out pretty well, by the time I handed either of them in, I, 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 and I talked to other writers and I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way sometimes with your writing is, uh. You're just like, oh, this is so bad that nothing can save it anyway. Like, fuck it. Like, why should I take another pass? Because nothing could, nothing could make this good. It's it's so, and it's almost kind of a great place to get to, <laughs> is it? To be like, fuck this. It's over. So, you know, I'm sure I'll feel that way with this book um, when it's done. But maybe less so because I didn't hold it. I haven't been holding it like a precious diamond. So what made your mind up to do that? What because you know you if you've 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 gone along this furrow for many many years doing things in a certain way, um, whether it was fear of mistakes or fear of failure or wherever your perfectionism came from. Actually, let's do that. Where did the perfectionism come from? Uh, I think it just sort of like. Um, just, uh, I, I don't want to blame my parents or anything. Yeah, I think, everyone does. Let's do that. But why not? I, I don't know. I, I think just uh, from an early age, I mean, the only thing I could point to is I remember, you know, in school, like I would always take a really long time to finish things. And, um, you know, my parents, my dad was like, you know, he's like, it's important to just get it done. Like, don't worry about it being perfect and i don't remember this when he says that 
that I said, well, you always told me to do my best. So, and so I don't know if it comes from that. Uh, it might. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I don't want to blame them. But it's, uh, it's one of those really strange <laughs> statements, though, that people make, like, you know, do your best. And you're what? You're 12, you're 13, you're 14. What the fuck is my best? How do I know what my best? I mean, I don't even know if I like girls or boys yet. How the fuck am I supposed to know <laughs> what my yeah, best yeah. is? So let's always assume that right. there's not going to be, I can't do my best. There isn't the best. Whereas there are kids around me at school, at my school, who, who seem to know what their best was automatically and be able to do it and then be really happy with themselves. Yeah, well... I hated them. Well, and then, I don't know, I mean, it's funny, I've, I've had conversations with uh, a comedian friend of mine who's, uh, I don't want to expose who it is, but it's a very well-known comedian, you know, world-famous world comedian friend of mine, and uh, I was, we were walking along, and I was some, I was just you know, telling her what a piece of shit I am and all that. And she was like, Oh, like I, you have to stop doing this. Like if I could encourage you to do anything, like don't waste your time, uh, browbeating yourself, you know? And I was like, well, you, do you do it? She's like, Oh yeah, I do it constantly. So I know how bad it is. And I, I don't want, I, it's such a waste of time. But it's too late. I can't stop. And I said, "Well, I said, well, does is there anyone who doesn't do it, like in comedy anyway?" So that's what we were talking about. She said, "said I I think the only people that don't do it in comedy are people. It's like there are people that think they're really great, and the the people that think that are not. <laughs> like said, there are some people who are quite thrilled with themselves, and those are not." Uh, those are not the great ones, which is not, I'm saying, I don't think the lesson is like, uh, torture yourself, but, uh, I think it just points to the, to the reality of that as just a common thing to just be like, um, yeah, there's a, there's a terribly thin line though, isn't there between, um, self, self-criticism or, you know, the voice which as far as mm -hmm. I, I thought when I was young, I was the only person who had, you know, the voice, the voice that just constantly goes, well, you don't really want to do it like that. Or you've done it like that. And it's not really the right way to do it. Uh, the internal critic and mm -hmm. being self-analytical, because being self-analytical could be quite useful. And I'm assuming from a comedian's point of view, being self-analytical will also result in some decent material. But the, that thin line, the mistake you can make by, see how I shoehorn it in every so often? The word mistake. That's my talent. Mm -hmm. I can just bounce it in, <laughs> even if it's completely irrelevant. That thin line um, between being self-analytical. I mean, how am I reacting to other? How how am I behaving? How is my behaviour towards other people or towards the dog? Or you know, is this is what I'm doing good? Do I need to modify that? And self-criticism, which is exactly how do I kill myself? I I, I that's all I do is constantly. Uh, whenever I have guests on my radio show or podcast, I just, I just, um, ramble endlessly. So, uh, you could, it's, you're not, by the way, you're not doing that at all. 
Yeah, but I have a strict um, no food mixed with my rocking. Like, I, I don't want any food in the room when I'm listening to music. That's like the anti-rider. Well, no, because the food is... You mean the rider, like the the band rider? Yeah, that's like the anti-rider. No, well, the food is backstage. But what if... I mean, I've roadied for people, you know, in front, front of the band, and I get hungry. No food with music. Not, not in the same room, meaning, wow. like, you can't be on stage... Or you can't be looking at a band and eating like chicken wings. Jesus Christ, Dave, that's hard. It's a very. I feel even I feel that way with all perf- performance that there should no be no food. How about you play I'm outdoor? Very harsh. How about you play outdoor festivals? What happens there? How do you police just, that? Mm, it, it's all right. There just can't be anyone like right up at the stage eating like a hot dog or something no food at all not uh, just drinking oh drinking well how about snacks maybe not crazy about it i guess no waiter no waiter service no okay all right no that's there can be like if they get food from like some somewhere far off and they're just have it in their hand that's all right but Uh, no i don't like there to be like um how about airdrops? Little parachutes of food drop down from air supplies. How about that? I might allow I might allow that. I might allow it. Space food. Space food. Yeah, yeah. Tube food. That might that might be fun. Okay, well that's we seem to have gone off at some kind of diver food divergence there. Have you had well, uh, breakfast? I no, not really. I've had some some almonds. All I've learned about you so far, Dave, is, is that you drink wine heavily, but don't eat. It's that you're not wrong. No, I, I drink wine probably like... Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> How Have you checked both eyes? They seem all right, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. But for me, you know... I think, I, you know, if I have like four glasses of wine, that to me, like, that's a bender. Oh, man. I'm a lightweight. I've turned into an absolute lightweight. I thought you were keeping it straight. I'm straight in other ways, you know. I can get, you know, I was in Montreal a couple weeks ago. Is that the bit of Canada that you don't like? No, I love Montreal. Oh, okay. Um, I'll tell you, I wasn't crazy about Winnipeg. I was excited. I was excited to go there, but I, I wasn't. But I think it was because uh, it pretty much is just like Cleveland, where I'm originally from. And I think I think it was just subconscious, uh, like you know things. Yeah, it was, was Freudian it was geography. That, yeah, exactly. That which is that's what I realized in the in the end.
well, now I'm getting off on a whole other thing, but Go for it. I just, uh, but you know, I'm just fascinated about everything that's going on in America because I believe I, you me, know, so is the rest of the world, man. Yeah, yeah, but it's just I I don't understand this where people want to preserve their white boring culture because like ever since I was a kid I was just like I'm a fucking pale Irish English blood guy who and so my people have no interest in food there's some you know there's some decent food but like no good food no I mean it's so ever since I was a kid I was always seeking out like other shit because mm. I was like I stick to what my own ancestors have brought me I'm going to be pretty bored my um, ancestors are Cork Murphys and English Smiths so I'm absolutely if I could reach through the screen and hold you know shake your hand right now I'm completely I, with you um, <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely it's why it's coming to America for the first time for me going to Atlanta was it com- was just yeah oh, man soul food is a hangover cure is is sent by God. Um, oh yeah. And, and then my first decent like Tex-Mex was, I mean our equivalent over here I assume is like really great Indian food, or in some places really yeah. great Jamaican food. Um, yeah. But, but Tex-Mex first time I had proper Tex-Mex was actually in Austin, not in um, not mm-hmm. not in Atlanta at all. So. You've you've looked for that. You've looked to get away from our joint Irish potato background. Oh yeah, absolutely. As soon as I could drive, you know, when I was sixteen, all of a sudden I was like, oh, finally, like I'm free. I can go get all this food. I can go check out all this stuff, you know. Because over here. Our perception of what's going on in the states, as, as, apart from being a, a clusterfuck, it, it doesn't seem to. Be, it's not so much about white supremacy; is is about American exceptionalism. Well, yeah, I think that yeah, that's probably ultimately what what it's about. But you know, I, I think I think partially because of this of the myth that Americans are sold you know, from the age of five or something, this idea that, you know, we're just taught that like, oh, we're the best, we have it the best and everyone else is fucked, you know, and we've, you're just taught this from the earliest, you know, they start brainwashing you with this bullshit. But it's, and then this idea that like, this is the land of opportunity. So on the one hand, everyone's like well whatever we're doing is the best but as i mean look at where do you want to start healthcare uh guns all these things like look around you know the every industrialized country in the world with you know a few exceptions maybe has you know a a, a public healthcare uh, situation in place and you know there's problems with some of them you know you know no system's perfect but like I think they're all much better than uh, someone not being able to pay their bills and dying because of it or now you know over here we have like oh let's do a GoFundMe let's all chip in 
because this person can't pay their bills, which, you know, I'm happy to do because that's what we fucking have to do right now. It's stupid as shit it, as it is. But uh, anyway, there's that. And I don't know. But I but I think Americans are not taught to be curious about the rest of the world and and look like I mean, I'm blown away, you know, going to I been going to Scandinavia a lot these last few years and just the I mean it's, it's mind blowing the the programs they have in place. Um anyway, so there's that all that stuff of Well I think I, I think don't, I mean it's it's easy at the moment given Trump and Pence and uh the situation there and and you know and 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 the, the what the glory boys, whoever they are, the anti-Muslim, oh, anti-Jewish, the proud boys, all that kind of bullshit. Yeah, they're a it, bunch of fucking idiots. Oh man, it's yeah, scary idiots. Um, and, you know, and the co-opting of Milo Yiannopoulos and 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 Coulter, and uh, you know, it's very easy for you know what those people all have in common. They're assholes. Aside from being assholes and racist and all that, they're all failed comedians. Every like every one of them has done stand up at some point. Ann Coulter, Kellyanne Conway, Milo, Gavin McGinnis, the head of uh, the Proud Boys, the crying Nazi from the Charlottesville, like the guy, you know, who was on. All every single one of them was a stand up at some point, or was on stage with a microphone trying to make jokes. It's interesting. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and what, they just didn't get the laugh right. back and couldn't handle it. Yeah, so they were like, I, I know another way to get attention. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know what it all means, but it's interesting to well, me. Well, I that do. That's... It's fairly obvious. We should lock all you comedians up. Possibly, possibly. You know, make the world a safer place. <laughs> Maybe. But, I mean, what I was going to say, what I was going to say was, um, but for the grace of, of England, of Great Britain being close to Europe, I can't, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of dissimil- dissimilarity over here at the moment in a lot of, a lot of the way that the English think about themselves. I mean, a lot of people here start, still aren't over the fact that we don't have an empire anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Um, I've been talking, you know, I have a lot of friends in England and, you know, we'll email or text or whatever and, they're all like, yeah, it sucks here too. Like, uh, at le- but at least we don't have the gun problems you guys have. Um, no, no, guns are impolite, Dave. We have knife problems because knives are more personal. And oh yeah, you know, I'm you all have, for I'm all for a good stabbing. You have to be you have to be introduced to the person to stab them. You yes. can shoot someone from a distance, which is rude. Yes, exactly. It's just very rude. It's really rude. But so the way the stabbings work over here is somebody introduces you to somebody else and you both go at it um, with the stabbing. Normally at dawn sure. on, a, uh, on, a, on a public park and everyone wow. has seconds and uh, yeah, it's very civilized. What's always amazed me about say, the American approach to the rest of the world and when you're over there and you read the newspapers and there is nearly zero news about the rest of the world. Oh yeah, well yeah, people don't yeah, people don't uh over two thirds I think what, what was it like more than two thirds have never left the country. 
Only a third have passports, I think. In in yeah, I mean, and I'm constant. You know, aside from being sick of airports and stuff, like I'm always like, I feel lame that I've never been to South America or Africa yet. You know, I'm like, what's I've, you know, I'm like, what am I? You know, I'm, I'm I gotta get. I have to see these places. I have to see what's going on. Um, and I feel like, and if we were, I swear to God that if we were 50 miles further away from Europe, nobody in England would ever have gone anywhere, but to invade it. That's hilarious. I mean, I do think that like, I mean, that how, like, I think if I lived in England, I would just be like, cause you can be in, Fuck. you know, <laughs> Paris in three hours, you know, I mean, God, I would, I would be there once a week. If I could be there in three hours, um, it's astonishing. And, uh, yeah, you can you can really get around. It's pretty amazing. Um, and I think that's just an error that we don't do that. I think that's a downright fuck up. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think there's anything magical about that. I do think it's a horrible, horrible mistake. But so, if you lived over here, you, why don't you live over here, Dave? You know, there was a time when I I was. Uh, thinking about it because I felt like I was staying busy over there and maybe I'll, maybe I'll get back to that point. The one thing though, I think the reality of it is that I think, um, I think honestly I couldn't handle the weather. It's, it's just like a little too gray. Like, like I, I, uh, I'm good for a couple weeks over there, but after a while I'm just like, Oh, like, there's a, and I, I kind of lo- like, I love, an, um, I'm sort of really entertained by really bleak British scenarios. Go on. Like, like, uh, give me like a really hilariously bleak pub. <laughs> that's just like, you just want to kill yourself. <laughs> like I, Oh, that's where I want to have. As long as they have some good ales, I'm in. Like, uh, like there's there's a place in London. I don't want to say what it's really called because then. Uh, oh fuck it! What's it called? Okay, I'll tell you. Though I'm told they redid it, so okay. it's probably changed. I'm told they redid it recently, but there's this place called the Calthorpe Arms. I think on like. Might be on Gray's Inn Road. Okay, it's like not. It's it's somewhere near like I don't know, but uh, my friend friends go there, and they call it the funeral parlor because <laughs> it's just like people are just kind of sitting there, uh, just uh, staring off into the distance, drinking, uh-huh. and I love that. But uh, you know, like, and I've done. You know, you do like. You'll be in like a, even if you're in like a basement somewhere in in England, like you can like feel the the darkness creeping in like tentacles, like like we're like there's no windows. How can I sense how bleak it is outside? It still comes in like these ah, like tendrils or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, and it's an amazing thing. I feel like we don't quite have here. So, I'm really entertained by it. Um, Just dowdy, uh, dowdy bleakness. 
Yeah, I mean, it's Somebody funny once for described it. I think it was, oh, God, it, his name will come to me. He wrote Small Island. American journalist, lived in England for a long time, and described England as like living inside Tupperware. Is it uh, Bill, Bill uh, Bryson. Bryson? Yeah, that's right. Living inside Tupperware. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think thought that's that was a good description. The pubs you're talking about, I, I, I understand those. With a jukebox so that has three tunes on it. Yeah, like there's this thing like, and then something like with the plumbing in England, like somehow it got to be like uh, maybe like 1942 or whatever, and you guys all decided like, well, that's good enough. Where well, that's <laughs> like, I'm amazed that the like the uh, like you'll run it, you'll there are some toilets that work great, but generally speaking. I do not flush with confidence over there. We've done um, a lot of toilet work. When was the last time you were over? Last year? Uh, July, I think. Right, we've done no, a lot, yeah, a lot of toilet work since August. There was, there was a major... Since August? Yeah, there was okay, a major so. nationwide toilet, toilet refurbishment. All right, well, I look forward to seeing what you've accomplished in the last few months. Yeah, it's part but, of the Brexit uh, campaign. <laughs> but I do... I do love England, though. I do. I I could see uh, if you guys get can get this Brexit thing sorted out. Maybe I'll I'll I'm on my way. Now nah, we're fucked, mate. We we fucked that one. That's again not a mistake. That's just a straight up fuck up. Yeah, it's weird because you guys are supposed to be smarter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what we. You know, there is a thing. I know what's the accent. Oh. The accent, everyone just sounds smarter. Is that why Gore Vidal always sounded like he was being English? I think so, yeah. Uh, Buckley more so. Right, Dave, I'm using your time up, and I don't think you've had enough to eat. <laughs> oh, you can feel my blood sugar yeah. levels dropping. I mean, it was the hatred. This is just my, this is my normal uh, high energy. I'm just, you know, I'm always barely functioning. That's <laughs> kind of oh man, there's yeah, the food it. hatred that, that kind of that, that, that struck me. Okay, Dave, that was great. Uh, it really was good. Cool. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for being on. I think we're both going to go and look after our respective dogs now. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. We'll talk soon, I hope. All right. Thank you Before so much, Before we go, Tim. what do you have that you need to tell the people about um, coming up? Oh, coming up? Well, I'll be coming over to England sometime next year, a few times to do some shows. But oh, cool. in, in the meantime, uh, they could check out... Uh, my relaunch Dave Hill's podcasting incident. And, Which is uh, very good. Thank you. Yeah. So there's that. Oh, buy the new Valley Lodge album, my band. Buy the Painted Doll album. And, and uh, just be good. Just be good to each other. Okay, that seems fine. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tim. Mr. Dave Hill, and thanks again, Dave. So, 
we have one more episode left in this first series of Don't Do Things the Way I Do, a podcast about mistakes. Make sure you subscribe to get a hold of that one. There may well be newsletters as well if you're up for that. If you would like to suggest yourself or anybody else with a decent story about mistakes to appear on the podcast, I'm open to that. I'm plowing through emails as we speak. Obviously not, we're not speaking, and I have my face on a microphone. However, I am plowing through the emails. Bread at zuzusbakery.co.uk or bread at zuzusbakery.co.uk or zuzusbakery on Twitter. That's Z-U-Z-U-S, bakery, one word. I would love to hear from you. Please do subscribe. If you want to sponsor this series, then not this series. Well, maybe you do want to sponsor this series. It's going to be live forever until the sun explodes. So, yeah, go for it. Uh, Or if you want to sponsor me going into the future, same email address and I'll go over the massive year listener figures I've got. But until next time, I'm Tim Smith. Don't do things the way I do. Bye-bye.